Some bonds last a lifetime. Some bonds inspire confidence. And some you grow to rely on. These are the bonds worth investing in. For nearly 50 years, PIMCO has reinvented fixed income to create opportunities for investors in every market environment. So no matter what happens, you can build the bonds that mean the most to you. PIMCO, a global leader in active fixed income. Learn more at PIMCO.com bonds. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Consult your investment professional before investing. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to San Francisco, and welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not to entertain, but to educate, teach, coach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. This week wasn't just positive. It was tumultuously positive. The market kept opening down before meandering higher, like we saw today. Even if we still close in the red, Dow dipping just six points, S&P edging down 0.02%, NASDAQ declining 0.21%. But boy, was it ugly at the opening. What causes this kind of rebound action? Well, see, when you get benign data, like this morning's negative consumer price index figure, indicating that inflation is not a problem, Stocks can bounce even without a lot of positive company-specific news. Oh, boy, but that won't be the case next week because next week, earnings season kicks off, and this will be the craziest reporting period that I think you've seen in ages. Why? Despite Fed Chief Jay Powell's endless protestations that the economy is really robust, I bet we'll hear more about weakness than strength. So let me walk you through the game plan. It all starts with Citigroup, which reports on Monday morning. I'm a little thrown off by what's been happening here. This morning, Citi put out a cryptic note about how it's formalizing an information sharing agreement with one of its largest shareholders, Value Act, an activist hedge fund that often helps underperforming companies turn themselves around. Now, normally you expect them to ask for a board seat, but instead they seem to want information. I say anything that allows Value Act to put additional pressure on Citi is a positive, but a confusing one. See, I've been a big fan of this bank for some time. We even own it for my charitable trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. But the stock's been awful. It just plunged from 75 to 56 in less than four months with an embarrassing pit stop at $48 right before Christmas. <laughs> Citi's been buying back its own stock hand over fist, yet it hasn't seemed to make a whit of difference. The shareholders want growth in city like so many other banks is growth challenge. Maybe this strange value act agreement can get them on the right track. I didn't like this. After City, the financial floodgates open. On Tuesday, we hear from J.P. Morgan and Wells Fargo. I want to hear their side of the growth story, as both of these banks have a terrific handle on many different flavors of finance. I bet Wells talks about the slowdown in mortgages. J.P. Morgan might discuss the slowdown in lending and securities. My view, both stocks are down enough that I expect that they can rally on even a little bit of positivity, and I think they can give it to you. We also hear from United Health, the huge health insurance company. UNH has been talking up a blue streak about how well it's doing. The problem is, I don't know if management can ever top itself at this point. I don't know if they can say anything new to propel the stock higher after its excellent forecast for ages and ages. Plus, the healthcare cohort has fallen out of favor since Fed Chief Powell indicated he's more, let's say, he's more circumspect about raising rates, making a recession less likely. And the recessions, well, let's just say these are the stocks to go to. That said, I do expect UNH to give us a great quarter, unqualifiedly. In the last week, we've seen disappointing numbers from two different airlines, Delta and American. Sell, 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 sell. 
as falling ticket, ticket prices have impaired their profitability. Even as their fuel costs have plummeted, a lot of people were betting these would be big upside surprises. Will United Continental tell us the same story when it reports Tuesday after the close? This airline just can't, let's say the airline group can't get any mojo, okay? But if any of them can buck the trend, it's going to be United, which has been the best of the best since Oscar Munoz took over as CEO. I never thought I'd see the day when the cheapest bank stock would be my alma mater, Goldman Sachs. But a lack of growth combined with some disturbing news from a troublesome Malaysian transaction has, and that's being put very, very diplomatically, has devastated the stock. We've been buying Goldman for the Channel Trust, and so far that call's been dead, dead wrong. At these levels, though, I do think it's too cheap to ignore. However, if they don't at least try to quantify the damage from this Malaysian scandal, even a good quarter might not matter. I don't know if the government will let them even tell, tell what's really going on. I don't feel the same way, though, about Bank of America. I think BAC might surprise us, given its gigantic asset base and the money it's making off your deposits as the Fed funds rate goes higher. CEO Brian Moynihan has made this bank more profitable than ever. And by the way, he's very digitizing. But like all the banks... It needs permission from the regulators to award shareholders with larger dividends and buybacks. After the close Wednesday, CSX reports, ever since the late Hunter Harrison took over as this railroad CEO and, and introduced discipline to an operation that seems, let's say, be, uh, have been unruly in retrospect, there's been nothing but upside here. I bet that trend continues. Thursday morning brings us Morgan Stanley. For my money, this just might be, let's say, the biggest potential for an upside surpriser in the group, along with the healthiest buyback. James Gorman, the CEO, has navigated the regulatory thicket of banking better than any other executive, and his advisory business is now second to none. I think Gorman's content to buy back as many shares as possible while the stock is down here. You know what? I'd buy it right along with him. After the close, we get results from American Express, and I've liked the last few quarters. The stock's down more than 15 points from its highs, so we need to hear that corporate travelers are still spending. I'm concerned given the weak airfares that we've been learning about. What I most want, though, is something about China, specifically their chances of getting a business license that lets Amex expand into this massive market. You want high stakes? How about a stock that's already up 26% for 2019? You heard me, 26%. And it hasn't even been two weeks. I'm talking about the stock of Netflix. The analysts who cover this stock have been tripping all over each other to raise numbers and push the stock. Now, I typically don't like this kind of action, but Netflix is not your typical stock. I expect good numbers, but at this point, the stock's run too much for me to recommend buying. I'm taking my cue here from my old trading partner and friend, Karen Kramer, who'd say, Jim, you missed it. I don't even care if it goes great. You don't have the right to buy it here. She was almost always right, so I'm not going to go against her. Friday, we hear from VF Corp and Schlumberger, two very challenged companies. We've stuck with Schlumberger for the Travel Trust, and I feel like I dope. I made the mistake of betting on the best house, but it turned out to be a real bad neighborhood, the oil patch. This oil service company has fooled me repeatedly by calling a bottom in oil, even as it kept plummeting. At this point, all I want to hear is that Schlumberger's dividend is safe. Low bar. Even though I, th- I think oil did bottom in the mid-40s, it hasn't rebounded enough for slob, as we call it, to make a ton of money. VF Corp, the long knives are out for this apparel company because it sells so much product in department stores like Macy's, which we know just disappointed yesterday. Wall Street has turned against that whole cohort. I think people are too negative. Plus, VF is doing everything it can to reward shareholders, just like PVH, which rallied more than six bucks today after CEO Manny Chirico, friend of the show, raised his forecast and dealt with an underperforming division, just like he told us he would do when he was on the show last. The bottom line, we've had a good run from the bottom, largely based on macro forces, namely the Fed deciding not to destroy the economy in order to save it. Next week, we find out if this move's been warranted based on earnings, not merely hope. Fortunately, most stocks are still well off their highs, but they've rebounded enough that there's a lot more risk going into these earnings 
that I'd like. Let's go to Stephen in New York. Stephen! Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. I've got a question on gaming and casino stocks. Okay. So the Supreme Court legalized sports betting last summer, and I read the New York Times estimates that $150 billion of illegal sports wagers are made every year, and that's set to rise post-legalization. So with an estimate average rate of 5% on a reasonable estimate of bets, that can be an extra $5 billion of profits to flow into the casino stocks. Now, just last week, Caesar struck a three-year deal with the NFL to be their only official casino sponsor. They also have similar deals with seven NFL teams so far. Now, one of the largest sports betting events of the year is the Super Bowl in February. And right. that will be the first Super Bowl since sports betting has been legalized. And then to top it off, okay. just this morning, Carl Icahn's firm announced that they were taking a position in Caesars, and it's now up 50% since Christmas just three right. weeks ago. So what are your thoughts? Well, you know, let's hear my partner David Faber say this morning, talk about the uh, Carl Icahn thing. And Carl Icahn being involved does matter to me. And I think Caesar, CZR, I thought I'd never say this because the balance sheet's so bad. I think it's a reasonable speculation for all the reasons that you just outlined. And thank you for the call. Stephen Nevada, Steve. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Really appreciate it. Quite welcome. Hey, my question is about uh, Red Hat stock. But first, I just want to quickly thank you for taking on the Fed. It's uh, Kramer 2, Fed 0. Oh, thank but, you. Uh, so Fed has a lot of friends is, out there who try to make me look bad all the time. But you know what? Bring it on. Go ahead. <laughs> no, you do a great job with it, man. Uh, you. you ought to be on the board of governors. Anyway, thank you. I um, wish I were. So, so my question is, uh, with the uh, acquisition by IBM at 190 a share, uh, I've noticed Red Hat stock is continuing to languish in the mid to low, uh, below to mid 170s. Right. Uh, is is there a, is this kind of a slam dunk where it'd be a good idea to uh, uh, take uh, buy more Red Hat stock or options uh, in anticipation of stock? Getting to that no, place. no, Steve. What we're going to do is we're going to ring the register. I, I spent so, a lot of time talking to club members at ActionAlertsPlus.com about how we're not arbitrageurs. You got a big win in Red Hat. It is time to move on. Don't want that risk to make those last few points. We don't need it. I'm going to Joey in Tennessee. Joey! Big Nashville, Tennessee. Booyah for you, Kramer. How are you? Indeed. I'm doing well. How about you, Joey? Doing good. So, um, question for you. I'm 38 years old, looking to build a portfolio of stocks combination okay. of growth and value stocks I could hold for the next 30 years. Okay, I'm thinking so about good. buying some Cisco systems. What do you think? I think that's a great idea. I think that Cisco is probably the least expensive uh, high-growth tech stock I follow. And Chuck Robbins is doing a fantastic job. And don't forget index funds. They should matter in that pastiche of a portfolio you're developing. What a week. We have had a good run. But next week, we're going to find out if that move is warranted. Tonight, on a special farewell to San Francisco Digital Man Money, if you want to see real movement out of China, there are three things you'll have to watch. I'm going to tell you one hint. They start with the letter A. Then gold prices just stage your comeback, but is this move sustainable? I'm going to give you my take. And as many companies struggle with driver shortages in the truck business, how is Uber working to solve the problem? I've got the exclusive. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. 
CDC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC. Chinese economy's gotten pretty tricky here, especially for American companies. So who's navigating it well and who doesn't have a handle on it? At all. Today, I heard a ton of people claiming we don't have to worry about U.S. apparel sales in the People's Republic because neither Nike nor Tapestry nor Lululemon has experienced any kind of slowdown. But what if we look beyond apparel? We know Apple's got a real China problem, and now Goldman Sachs worries that Starbucks could be in the same camp. With some developing weakness related to the rise of a domestic competitor called Luckin, which they claim could be, and I quote, a significantly accelerating threat in 2019, end quote. Contrast that with the strong action in stocks like Deer, Boeing, and General Electric. Deer should be in the doghouse. The government shut down, holding it's holding up billions of dollars in farm subsidies, and the trade war with China is supposed to be devastating the agricultural sector. Yet Deer's stock has been performing pretty well lately. And historically, it's been a darn good forecaster of the future. I wonder if the action in Deere is signaling that maybe we'll get some progress in these Chinese trade talks, or at the very least, they'll make a bunch of ag purchases to show good faith. That or investors don't believe the shutdown can last because farm subsidies are the real third rail of American politics. Still, if you want the best gauge of these trade talks, you need to look at aerospace, American Express, and Apple. I'm calling them the three A's. American Express has been trying to get a business operating license in China for ages. They've even teamed up with Lian Lian, which is the PRC's fourth largest non-bank payment provider to get the business going. But without that license, nothing's going to happen. This would be the easiest way for the Chinese to show the American financial sector that it's welcome in the PRC. We hope to hear about some news about this uh, situation when Amex reports next Thursday. How about Apple? Right, the iPhone is a conspicuous U.S. brand that's easily avoided, especially when phones made by Huawei are getting much larger subsidies to register. If the Chinese Communist Party starts making nice with Apple's CEO Tim Cook of late, that's a very positive development. The stock traded poorly today, but it's had a good run off the bottom. I still say the same thing. Own Apple, don't trade it. Bye, bye, bye. But the most important show of good faith would be for China Airlines to place a gigantic order of planes with Boeing. An order that would reverberate throughout the entire aerospace complex, including Honeywell, United Technologies, and GE. Hey, by the way, which is finally starting to be trading like an aerospace industrial stock again. Thank you, Larry Kolb, CEO. In fact, all of these industrials started acting better this week, although it's obviously in tandem with the fact that they're no longer fighting the Fed. Still, we're starting to sort out winners and losers in China. Some companies, the Nikes and Lululemons of the world, are holding up just fine. But after last week's jarring Apple news and today's downgrade of Starbucks by Goldman Sachs, we know that the Chinese consumers begin to take sides. That's not good news for any American companies that do business over there, even if many of their stocks seem to reflect that we might be getting some progress in the trade talks. Frankly, China's become unfathomable at the moment. We have no idea where the government's doing, what it's thinking. Maybe it's darkest before the dawn, but I'd argue it's ill-advised to predict the dawn until we're further along into the night. Stay with Kramer. Hi, 
I know the stock market has been roaring ever since we bottomed right around Christmas. But we may not be, let's just say, out of the woods because it's still a tumultuous time. Sure, the Federal Reserve has stopped value to strangle the economy with aggressive interest rate hikes. And we're finally seeing some positive signs when it comes to the trade negotiations with China. However, after the horror show of the fourth quarter, it should be obvious to everyone just how quickly these things can unravel. Maybe Fed Chief Jay Powell forgets his notes and gives a bad interview like he almost did yesterday. Maybe the Chinese trade war heats up after an Aaron presidential tweet. Remember, the 10% tariffs on $200 billion worth of Chinese imports automatically go to 25% on March 2nd, right around the corner. So even if nothing changes, that's going to produce more short-term pain for the stock market. And maybe the government shutdown drags on. 800,000 federal workers are either being furloughed or they're working without pay. In terms of consumer spending, it's like... And nearly a million people have been removed from the workforce. Heck, the holiday retail sales numbers we saw yesterday were far from encouraging. We can't just assume it will be a smooth sale for the rest of 2019. So what does that mean for you as an investor? It means you need some insurance for your portfolio. And the best way to protect yourself against economic chaos is by owning some gold. Now, I've been saying this for years. I've been saying this since the show began, and it still holds up. Just look at how gold performed during the fourth quarter when the stock market really did melt down. When Jay Powell made his comments where he talked about overshooting to curb inflation, and then the next day, Vice President Pence gave a big speech framing the trade conflict with China as a new Cold War, the stock market went into a tailspin. At first, gold kept traveling sedately along, trading in the 1,200s. But then when the selling in the stock market got really extreme in December, gold prices rose by 5% from 1,220 to 1,280. And it's continued to edge higher, up to 1,288 an ounce as of today. Historically, when other asset classes become volatile, investors love crowding into gold. Meanwhile, long-term bond yields have plunged which makes hard assets like gold more attractive by comparison. Hey, you're passing up on less income when you buy a precious metal here. Plus, it doesn't hurt that the dollar seems to have peaked versus other currencies as the price of gold is denominated in greenbacks. Remember the history here. When the stock market collapsed during the financial crisis, gold caught fire. In the fall of 2008, gold was trading at $800 an ounce. Three years later, it had vaulted to more than $1,800 an ounce. Then, as a sense of normalcy returned to the stock market, the precious metal pulled back. That's one reason why it's remained range-bound for the last five-odd years. Although every time something big happened, that made investors uh, nervous, like the Fed's decision to start tapering its bond-buying program in 2014 or the Brexit vote in 2016. Gold spiked. In short, if you're looking for an insurance policy against volatility and economic uncertainty, gold is a great way to go. While I like the stock market here, as you know, now that the Fed has decided to be more patient, the whole point of diversification is to be prepared in case something goes wrong, not right, and your thesis doesn't pan out, not if it does. So what's the best way to play gold? Unless you can afford to buy actual gold bars and store them in a depository bank, I don't recommend owning the actual metal. Most gold coins are sold in a significant markup, especially if you go to a coin deal. And they're not that liquid. It's not like you can sell a gold coin all that easily through a brokerage account. However, if you want direct exposure to the precious metal, my favorite gold ETF is the SPDR Gold Shares uh, Fund, also known as the Spider Fund under the symbol GLD. The GLD literally owns fiscal gold, so you don't have to. Don't worry about putting it in a savings box. How about the gold miners? All right, the logic here is pretty straightforward. When gold prices go up, the miners see their margins rise and they make more money. At the same time, they can also grow the production, which means the stock of a well-run gold miner should be able to give you larger gains than the physical commodity. However, gold mining is a high-risk business. If there is, say, a strike at a single mine, that could crush your stock, or maybe it's expropriated by a government. Who knows? And if the price of gold is rising, you still won't be able to catch it. 
So if you want exposure to the miners, but you don't want the risk of owning a single miner, you do have my blessing to own one of the many gold mining ETFs. I prefer the senior to the junior, but if you're really a risk taker, you can go for the junior. But you know me, I am a stock picker at heart, which brings me to the stock that historically has been my favorite way to play the precious metal. Rand Gold Resources, the South African miner led by CEO Mark Bristow. He's a longtime friend of the show. Rand Gold has a history of generating serious production growth by operating in countries that are, let's say, uh, unstable, like the Democratic Republic of Congo or Mali. It's got a great growth profile, always had a good balance sheet. There's just one problem. Rangold no longer exists as an independent entity, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to do this piece for you. Last year, we learned that it was being acquired by Barrick Gold, the Canadian miner, and the transactions now created the world's largest gold company. On January 2nd, the combined entity started trading under the name Barrick Gold, although they've kept Rangold's symbol in the New York Stock Exchange, Gold, G-O-L-D. So is the new Barrick Gold worth owning? The company has the lowest total cash costs among its peers. I like that. Has a nicely diversified portfolio of assets across the world. I love that. But the best thing about Barrick is the management. Because Mark Bristow, the former CEO of Rangold, is now leading the combined company. In short, Barrick's got a ton going for it. Should you buy it right here? Well, look, there's still a lot of noise in the company right now, and we don't know exactly how long it'll take for all the kinks for the merger to be ironed out. However, it's definitely worth keeping an eye on. Barrick has all the tools necessary to become the world's best gold miner. The company releases its preliminary fourth quarter production and sales numbers in a week and a half, and the full earnings report comes out in a little over a month. I recommend keeping an eye out. Bottom line, no, this is not the perfect time to buy gold, but I always advocate owning at least a little as insurance against the unknown. We know gold's a winner in times of chaos and uncertainty. So if you're feeling a little bit worried about your portfolio, you might want to buy the GLD or one of the gold mining ETFs or the new Barrick Gold. For the prudent, I recommend waiting until Barrick reports its first quarter as a combined company, even though I like the merger very much. Now that Mark Bristow's in charge, let's take some calls. Let's go to Chris in Michigan. Chris. Uh, hi, Jim. Thanks for having me on your show. Oh, you're quite uh, welcome, I know you've Chris. Been Thank a, you for being on. I know you've been a big supporter of Nucor, ticker NUE. Uh, right. They just announced that they'll be building a $1.35 billion plant somewhere in the Midwest. They have a healthy dividend, a forward PE of 898 and uh, their CEO, John Ferriola, has lobbied heavily in favor of the tariffs on China, uh, including on your program. Um, however, they've lost 14% uh, value in December. They right. have bound, uh, it's bounced off its low, but uh, it's still well below the 52-week high of $70. I was under the impression that steel demand will be going down, not up, due to the slowing global economy. Right. Uh, right. Does the new plant mean they expect demand to stay steady? And should I buy more new cords? Uh, John Ferriola is a very disciplined manager. He wouldn't be putting up the plant unless he feels you get a great return on investment. It's the best steel stock by far. If you want to own a steel stock, you own Nucor, NUE. Ray in Illinois. Ray. Yes. Jim, Ray, how are you? All right. How are you? Good. Say so thanks in advance uh, for the comments you're going to give me. So appreciate oh, of it. Of course. Thank you. My, my, my question involved Lindy's recently completed merger with Praxair. Uh, prior to the merger, Praxair seemed to be a solid company. And with this merger, will Lindy be additive to their future prospects for earnings and other financial measures and market share of industrial gases? Ray, I got to tell you, I think the merger is unbelievably good. We profiled it as a terrific way to be able to play uh, a great industry, industrial gases. This combination is just dynamite. You should buy the stock. Okay, right now, it's not the perfect time to buy gold, but that doesn't mean you don't need it in your portfolio. 
everyone needs a little insurance. Been saying that since the show began. Much more man money head. Ever wonder if 18-wheelers could travel at app speed? I'm telling you how Uber hopes to help. Then, I may be leaving my heart in San Francisco, but I'm coming back with some investing ideas. And uh, let's pull out all the stocks before I hop on the red-eye back home edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. You want to get a glimpse of the future? Talk to some startups. They're your crystal ball. That's why every time I come out to San Francisco, I like to check in with privately held companies, ones you can't own the stock in yet, that are revolutionizing entire industries, even the larger ones that might not stay private for so long. For example, everyone knows about Uber and the way it's transformed the taxi business, but have you ever heard of Uber Freight? Think of it as Uber for truck drivers. Now, that may not sound super impressive, but we have a serious logistics problem in this country. Freight costs have gotten out of control because for a variety of reasons, we have a shortage of truckers. But Uber Freight believes the system we use to route these truckers is incredibly inefficient. I agree. You know, 20% of all miles a truck is on the road. It's empty. Bad for the environment, too. In short, this app could be a game changer. Earlier this week, I got a chance to check in with Lior Rod. He's a senior director at Uber who's the head of Uber Freight. Take a look. Leor, you may be the ultimate technology geek because you have conquered logistics. How's it working? (laughs) It's working great. It's always a pleasure to be a geek applying my knowledge on such an area as logistics. Okay, so we know, and one of the things we've been focused on bad money is, is that there's a trucker shortage. We know that it's caused tremendous friction. It's actually caused inflation in the economy to the point where it's disrupted many companies' earnings per share. You're actually doing something about it. We are. As you pointed, it's a huge issue for corporate America. If you look at the past few decades, every factor of cost has gone down. Production costs, employee costs, but logistics costs and transportation costs only went up. Right. Because it's very hard to find those drivers, and it's very hard to keep your logistics costs. So how is Uber finding the drivers and matching them with the people who need the drivers? We're bringing technology Show to the smart what do you got? I mean, you have an app, just, and how many people have downloaded it, and we're, what companies are doing it? We're Uber. Of course we have an app. <laughs> I happen to have it with me. And uh, if you Is it sure? Did you write the app? Uh, I have not written the app, okay. but uh, I'm helping uh, from time okay. to time. Uh, we have a pretty big team now, writing the app and helping with everything involved. And now if you're a truck driver, you can just download that, sign up. We check all the credentials and safety ratings and everything about you. And then you can just start browsing and looking around and searching. And if I'm a truck driver, I see now that I have a bunch of loads available for me on the map. The app is looking for the best loads and the best opportunities for me as a driver where I'm going, where I want to arrive uh, with my family, what do I like to haul, and I can browse through all the opportunities and just click on something I like, see all the details, and if I decide this is a suitable opportunity for me, I just hit book on the spot and I'm good to go. Well, there are rules that were put through that took the trucking industry uh, by surprise in terms of the number of hours that drivers could could go on trucks, and we often hear that that's a reason why prices went up. It would seem like this is a solution for that too. It's a solution for a lot of the issues uh, that are prevalent in the industry today. It's really taking all of that friction out of the task of finding the right loads and really empowering those truckers, those small business owners, to find the right opportunities for them and connect with the biggest shippers and the biggest Fortune 1000 
customers that they wouldn't have access if it wasn't for that connectivity. Okay, so the companies that have really told me that things are like beer, uh, soda, uh, big uh, consumer goods driving uh, uh, to uh, supermarkets, all these play a role? These are people, these are routes that you uh, can get if you're a driver? Think about it. The more basic a necessity is, the higher the transportation cost for that necessity yes. is. So the food we eat, the water we drink, those cost a lot to actually transport. A bottle of water that we buy in a store today will cost 20, 30% of the total cost of that bottle will actually be the logistics cost. So we allow those shippers to find and have access to a wide array of truck drivers. We allow them to understand where the trucks are and we allow them to target the right drivers with the right price at the right time to really have that much more affordable for them. Okay, here's what we're going to do. There's a Federal Reserve Chairman by the name of Jay Powell, and I don't know if he's in touch with things that, for instance, what we're talking about. You are actually bringing down the cost. You're a deflationary force that the Fed doesn't seem to understand. You've, I don't know how it's been 17, 18 months, but you've already started bringing down the cost. That's the goal. We've been right. active only 20 months. And in our most mature regions, such as Texas and California, the cost is now very affordable, again, because of that uh, technology. Now, uh, how many of the, of the companies do you think in the country even you know, know about this? Because when I heard about it, frankly, I wasn't even sure. I didn't know that Uber had conquered this field. It's new for us, right. but actually a lot of customers on both sides of the marketplace, both trucking companies and customer Nova. That's the beauty of doing this in a company like Uber, which is a household for many of those customers. Now, uh, what we're trying to, what I know I'm trying to figure out is uh, where are all these drivers coming from? Or is it just because there's a curious mismatch and there tend to be a lot more drivers available, they're just not matched correctly? Um, what's interesting is the more and a lot of the drivers in the past couple of decades are actually underserved minorities and they don't necessarily have access to all the opportunities that are readily available. And technology is the biggest equalizer. So we have a a lot of uh, hundreds of drivers in the Sikh community. Hundreds of drivers, Hispanic drivers, that actually don't necessarily understand um, all the uh, Did you know you empower these people when you started Uh, this? We suspected so, but we've discovered and we're astonished of how much of opportunity we have to truly empower those small business owners. Well, how about your background? Uh, because it sounds like that you're, I know you were in the Israeli army, um, you've done a lot of different things, but it sounds like that this is uh, uh, something that you personally are, are, are making a mission. I'm a geek at heart and a technologist, and uh, I think, uh, you know, I've, I've been doing technology for the past 20 years, and there's nothing more empowering than applying technology to society to drive impact. And for me, logistics is sort of the last frontier, such a big industry, 6% of global GDP, that is still mostly in the pre-digital area. So bringing technology for that area is a mission. And I also happen to be lucky enough to have some uh, family connections to logistics that make me understand some of those challenges. Tell me about this. And the reason I say this is because is that it, I didn't think there was technology to logistics. So obviously it's in your blood. It's my blood. My uh, dad was a, a logistics manager in uh, one of the biggest uh, mayonnaise uh, and butter com- uh, factories in Israel. Okay. My grandfather was a crane operator in the Haifa port. Uh, so it's very close to me. And, you know, most of this industry today is running on fax and paper and phone. 
And we really want to bring the power of mobile, of big data, of artificial intelligence to that area so we can actually equalize and reduce all of that friction. This is incredible. How many drivers do you think you're signing up in a given week? Uh, we're signing hundreds, if not more, of drivers. Uh, double digit of the drivers across the U.S. have downloaded the app already. We have well, tens of thousands of trucking companies on the platform. I know that when companies are about to report their quarters, every single quarter last year I had to hear that trucking costs had gone up. I now listen to you and I think that if companies haven't used you or addressed this, it's their fault. <laughs> That's the hope. We can actually help those uh, companies control the cost, have visibility to the supply chain. In the end of the day, just make everything we consume and buy from those companies much more addressable and accessible. Now, how did you hear about, uh, I, I'm going to ask you, one of the things that Union Pacific told me is we are now getting parolees involved. It's a very tight labor market. Are you seeing all sorts of people from all different p- uh, parts of the world? Because the labor market is tight, right? I mean, that is true. It is tight. And, uh, you know, truck driving used to be the, the epitome of the American dream. Yes. Uh, going in a truck, go across the U.S., yes. make a living. It's been more and more challenging for those drivers in the past few decades. Right. Um, and we want to be there for them. We want to help them wherever we can. We want to help them with technology. And we really want to help them make this profession sustainable for us right. so they can actually... Go back to the family. They can actually well, make a decent uh, uh, living. Well, this is so important because like, I hear over and over again millennials don't want to be truck drivers. They don't want to be away from their family. But this sounds like a way for millennials to be truck drivers. So they have access to all the opportunities. Right. They can plan the route weeks and months in advance. They can plan if they want to go back to the family. We're even offering them a backhauls load. So if I'm going from so LA cool. to Minnesota... On the app, we'll show you, you can actually hold back from Minnesota back to NL and get you back in time for family dinner. This is completely disruptive. Everything we can to empower those drivers. Totally disruptive and making people have better, more fulfilling lives. That's the goal. Wow. That's Leo Ron. He's the head of Uber Freight. I got to hand it to you. You are really changing the paradigm. <laughs> Stay with Kramer. One of the same stock center. Bye bye bye. Sell some bills. Another cool stock. We know you don't play to sell. And then the light rounds over. Are you ready? Ski down for the light round. Okay, let's start with Dan. I with Dan. Jim, love you. Love your show. Thank you. Can you give me some electrifying wisdom on uh, in the lightning round about J.M. Smucker and they keep missing the quarter, missing the quarter, missing the quarter. That's not good enough. The three percent yield doesn't prevent you from downside. If you want to be in that group, I may I suggest McCormick. The Spice Company, they got the earnings momentum you need. I need to speak to me here in New Jersey. Me here. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. What do you think about energy transfer, and do you think the yield is sustainable in the long run? You know what? This one's too hard for me. I don't like the balance sheet. I'm not going to recommend the stock, nor am I going to recommend the group because it is too darn hard. My oil stock of choice for travel trust, excellenceplus.com, is BP. That's a better deal. Let's go to Kyle in Pennsylvania. Kyle. Mr. Kramer, just want to let you know this is a cool moment for me. I'm an avid follower. Thank you. I, uh, I know you spoke about Spotify over the summer and how you were a fan of their AI. I couldn't agree yes. more. I, I love their product. I love being able to listen to you day after a show, commercial-free. Completely reshaped how I approach my day. Um, I like that. So, 
were asked about Spotify. And the answer is the stock is down very, very big. And I'm not, I'm not abashed. I think this is a long-term situation. And I say, bye, bye, bye. Now I need to go to Gray in California. Gray. Jim. Yo. I've been, I've been watching your show religiously. Thank and you. And because of it, you've made me a lot of money. Yes. However, uh, a ways back, I don't remember exactly when, you had recommended Wingstop at the, in the low 80s. Yes. No, not Wingstop never traded in the low 80s, never been that high. Uh, I, I, I like the stock very much, but it hit a 52-week high today. I want Wingstop to pull back. It's too high. Jennifer in Louisiana. Jennifer. What's your opinion on uh, Weight Watchers, WTW? I didn't like the way. The, all the research I heard this morning indicated that the year started off weaker, and that's exactly when you make all their money. So I have to say no sell, sell, to Weight sell. Watchers. How about Paul in Connecticut? Paul. Hello, Jim. I'm looking Paul. for growth. I'm holding Lockheed Martin, and I'm about That's not even. A growth stock. I... That is not a growth stock. That when the Democrats take it over to control of the House. I am not going to steer toward Lockheed Martin. If you want growth, I suggest you do not look at the defense stocks. Uh, let's go to Greg in Minnesota. Greg. Hey, Jim. Greg and yes. Diana, Minnesota for two harbors. Looking for some retirement income We don't income really there. know what, yes, but we don't know what Two Harbors really own. So, therefore, we are reaching for yield. I will not let anyone reach for yield on this show. That's not what it's about. It's about safety. I need to speak to Bill in South Carolina. Bill. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Bill. Greetings from the home of the national champion Clemson Tigers. True. And it's congratulations. Like, yeah, it's a great thing. Listen, my, my question, though, is about... Uh, Corning, symbol GLW. Too inconsistent, too up and down. I do not want to be there. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. What a week. Here's what I learned in San Francisco. We had a bifurcated set of observations, first of all. The first related to the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference. The second related to the tech companies we talked to, like Apple, Salesforce, Intel. Healthcare is confusing right here. My ultimate takeaway, from a business perspective, there are just too many companies getting involved, or some would say chasing, the fight against cancer. We heard from Bristol-Myers, which is doubling down on cancer with its acquisition of Celgene. Now, I like the deal because Celgene is so cheap, but I am concerned that the company, well, the combination, will be going up against the rejuvenated Merck with its amazing key true to anti-cancer franchise. Just this Monday, we learned about Eli Lilly's $8 billion purchase of Loxo Oncology to build up its targeted cancer offering. We fleshed out GlaxoSmith. Klein's $5.1 billion takeover of Tesoro from last December, again, to develop cancer drugs. As a human being, I love that so many companies are spending big to beat cancer. But as a stock picker, I'm concerned this market may be getting saturated with competition. At the same time, though, I like that Glaxo and Novartis are shedding their slower businesses to become more growth-oriented. Glaxo is combining the consumer products division with Pfizer to ultimately create a brand new company that will dominate the drugstore aisles. I was very impressed with Voss Narasimhan. He is is the uh, CEO of Novartis, and, Emma, and with Emma Walmsley. He's, she's the CEO of Glaxo. Hey, by the way, Glaxo stock is very enticing here with a 5.2% yield. I'd buy that one. 
Bausch Health and Allergan are both challenged companies, but I like the way their CEOs, Joe Papa and Brent Saunders, are handling these challenges. I think the turnaround at Bausch is well underway with some healthy organic growth, actually quite surprising, and a safer balance sheet. I came away from my interview with Brent Saunders believing that Allergan's stock has just simply gotten too cheap, given the strength of its Botox cash pay franchise and the power of its upcoming migraine drugs. Let me put it this way. If Saunders can't get Allergan's stock to rally here, you know what? I bet the company actually might be acquired. Sure, Allergan's losing exclusivity on its blockbuster dry eye franchise for Stasis, but I think the company can work its way through the challenge thanks to its strong pipeline. What else? Well, we had a tale of two device makers. While Dexcom, the maker of revolutionary blood sugar monitors for people with diabetes, gave us a gigantic guide up, Medtronic, one of the big dogs, shaded down its forecast. I love Dexcom's growth. I think it remains the premier way to play the tragic diabetes epidemic in this country and the world, as the company has a huge addressable market that keeps expanding by leaps and bounds. Again, sadly. How about Medtronic? Their device portfolio is strong, and I think the stock is now de-risked here. The insider buying from CEO Omar Ishraq, whom we spoke to, shelled out more than a million bucks, by the way, to buy Medtronic shares at the new reduced price in the open market. Makes me think that this stock will repeal its recent decline and then some. Big institutions sink and can't resist buying the stock of Medtronic. Never been able to. Remember, though, Wall Street loves growth above all else, which is why I still like Dexcom here, even after its run from 112 to 141, as it was the star of the conference. Now, the defensive health care cohort has lost a bit of its luster as Fed Chief Jay Powell has backed away from his commitment to hit us with two more rate hikes this year. But you can tell that he's anxious to slam his foot on the brakes the moment he gets some strong data. Never mind that Macy's delivered some truly disappointing numbers yesterday or that we just got a negative consumer price index figure today. The moment Powell decided to crack down on his non-existent inflation, the healthcare stocks will get right back into the winter column. All right, that's healthcare. How about tech? which has really been strong of late. Different story. I see this group roaring back to life for a bit here after a crash of epic proportions going into the Christmas Eve slaughter. Uh, by the, uh, that time, nearly the entire cohort was laid to waste. It's a true bear market. Why? First of all, uh, you know what? Right now, I think the bear market is fading and the bull market is beginning again because of a huge resurgence in the data center. Although in reality, that business never really went away. It just got written off for all the wrong reasons. If you listen to our interview with Bob Swan, the interim CEO of Intel, or with Keith Block, the co-CEO of Salesforce, you know that the worldwide process of digitization continues unimpeded. <laughs> Intel stock is just too cheap at 10 times this year's earnings. It's kind of actually silly. And it's getting little to no credit for the growth in its Internet of Things and data center businesses. By the way, you know what? I feel the same way about NVIDIA. They both have autonomous driving companies, uh, chips, by the way, a lot of capacity there. And NVIDIA stock is starting to make a real, and I say deserved comeback. As for Salesforce, what can I say? Company keeps taking share from old school enterprise software purveyors like Oracle. In fact, Salesforce might have been the strongest presenter in a week of pretty incredible interviews. Or at least it would have been if not for two other standouts, one public and the other private. One of those standouts was Uber. It's truly a shame that you can't yet invest in this company. If this thing were publicly traded, I almost feel like recommending it simply because, well, one of its newer divisions, Uber Freight, which is literally reinventing logistics and reining in the singularly out-of-control cost of trucking. We've heard company after company complaining about skyrocketing freight costs caused by shortage of truck drivers. Uber's solution? Their freight app connects drivers to opportunities that are currently going begging. 
because of new safety regulations that prevent truckers from driving long hours. Lior Ron, the visionary founder of Uber Freight, has lofty ambitions to bring down the cost of shipping, also empowering minorities who are able to get more work thanks to this consumer-friendly app that connects jobs with drivers in a totally frictionless and democratic way. Here's a prediction. If you still hear companies complaining about a driver shortage by the second half this year, it means they haven't brought in Uber Freight to control costs. Maybe you don't want to even own their stock about this. By the way, for those of you who are worried about climate change, empty trucks are a huge source of unnecessary greenhouse gases. Uber Freight can do a lot to contain that problem, as you heard earlier in the show. The other big opportunity we heard about this week, Apple. Oh, look, I know they're in the penalty box. Give me a break. And it's for a host of reasons. Everything from the lack of detail on phone use going forward to the murky situation in China, where the conspicuous nature of buying an American brand might be contributing to slumping sales. That said, CEO Tim Cook was the most forceful I've seen since he came on Mad Money when his stock was trading in the low 90s a few years ago. So I have to question whether Apple's decline from 233 to the 150s might actually be an overreaction, especially when you consider the company's continually growing service revenue stream. Now, I found Apple's healthcare initiatives particularly impressive. Remember, it's a lot of watch action. Just listen to what Tim Cook told me about what he thinks Apple's biggest legacy will be. If you zoom out into the future and you look back and you ask the question, what was Apple's greatest contribution to mankind? It will be about health. Because our business has always been about enriching people's lives. And as we've gotten into healthcare more and more, uh, through the watch and through other things that we've created with research kit and care kit uh, and putting your medical records on the iPhone. This is a huge uh, deal. That made me wonder how much money Apple could make if it combined its smartwatch healthcare franchise with an acquisition of something like Epic. That's a private company that holds 64% of client medical records in this country. I believe that Apple stock would soar on this kind of deal, and I wish I had recommended it to Tim when I was speaking with him. The bottom line, as always, coming out to San Francisco is a breath of fresh air. They're trying to change things out here, trying to make things better. The fountain of innovation starts in San Francisco, and it's vital to meld one market we are right now with Wall Street, where we'll be next week. Stick with Kramer. First, I want to thank everyone out here in our fantastic Bureau of One Market. Always make us feel at home. I know we descend down here, we parachute, and they make us feel terrific, and I think they help us take us to the next level. So thank you to the Bureau at One Market. Second, this was a breakthrough week for us because we saw a lot of really interesting stuff with healthcare. but I think far more important is technology. There are too many stocks that have come down too far too fast, particularly the semiconductors, and may I also add Apple. I think the group is fine here for investment, not just a trade. And then finally, once again, I want to point out, Intel may have been the cheapest stock that we saw here. Like I said, there's always a more market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I'll see you Monday! I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour-long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day, clearly and concisely, in context and with perspective, and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today.